0: Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano.
1: Welcome everyone to Sports Spectrum. I'm Jason Romano. It's great to have you joining us here on the program today. However you're listening to this interview, first of all, we thank you that you're here checking us out at Sports Spectrum. But we want to encourage you to hit that subscribe button on whatever app that you're listening to this podcast on. Click subscribe and never miss an episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. We've had over 300 interviews here, so many interviews to go back and listen to as well. But hit that subscribe button and become a part of what we're doing every single day here at Sports Spectrum. We also want to encourage you to check out our website, SportsSpectrum.com. That's a daily devotional every single morning at 6 a.m. to start your day and articles all day long on the intersection of sports and faith. Our brand new redesigned website Check it out, SportsSpectrum.com. Today on the podcast, I'm really excited to bring to you guys the story of Kylan Moore. His new book is called A Dream Too Big, the story of an improbable journey from Compton to Oxford. And by all means, Kylan Moore should be dead in prison or stalking the streets of Compton with his fellow gang members. Instead, this guy is a Rhodes Scholar, an author, a speaker, and a role model For every kid who is deprived of hope in downtrodden communities. And he's got a great story. He played his college football at TCU. And then, amazingly, is now a Rhodes Scholar at the University of Oxford in London, England. Just finished that up. And now he's got his new book, his autobiography, that released today, June 4th, 2019, called A Dream Too Big. He actually is on Good Morning America this morning as well on abc and uh, we're grateful and thankful to have kylan moore come on our podcast and share his incredible story of perseverance and overcoming obstacles and choosing to live a different life than the one that unfortunately for many of his peers was chosen for them you'll love this interview take a listen to kylan moore here on sports spectrum kylan welcome to the podcast Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm excited to talk to you, Kylan. Uh, Your story is a powerful one, and I think the best way maybe to get into this interview, this conversation that we're about to have, is to talk about the book. And obviously, we're going to dive deeper into your story as we continue chatting here, but your book is called A Dream Too Big, and it's released June 4th. And uh, I'm excited for it to come out. I've been able to get an advanced copy and check it out. (laughs) The subtitle, it says, Story of an Improbable Journey from Compton to Oxford. So tell us about the book. I guess we'll start there and kind of how it came about and why you wanted to write it.
0: Absolutely. So the book is essentially my memoir, uh, the telling of my life story up to this point. And I know it's, you know, perhaps it's a little strange. You know, I'm 24 years old, uh, but I've experienced so much life up to this point that I just, you know, I had so many people requesting and I, it was a great reflection process to think, should I write it now? And I decided to, uh, because ultimately I think it can really deliver some hope to people that perhaps were having a hard time holding on to it. Um, I didn't realize I had a story uh, necessarily growing up. You look around, you know, the buildings, you look around the streets and it seems like a lot of people are experiencing the same thing. Um, it wasn't until I got out of that environment that I realized that people outside that environment had no idea, you know, what was going on in that environment, the day-to-day hardships, um, you know, the almost impossible distance that you, that one would have to travel and not in a physical way, but the impossible, you know, social distance, I guess, to travel from a Compton to an Oxford. So I just thought it would be a great time to write my book. And it was a great, um, it was a therapeutic process. I must admit, <laughs> just going through, you know, going through the, um, you know, that my own history and going through, you know, things that I've seen, things that I've been through is super spiritual and uh, therapeutic for me.
1: Yeah, I can attest to that, having written my own book in the last couple of years and how therapeutic it was just trying to go through the process of everything that I've been through and remembering stories and talking it through. <laughs> it's funny, too, Kylan, you hear the I guess you call it a, a mono or motto or whatever it is, but you hear the words, the struggle is real quite often, mm. right? You <laughs> right, right. Throw that out there. Oh, the struggle is real here. But <laughs> your struggles were very, very real growing up in Compton, California. Tell us about that, what life was like as a kid in South Central Los Angeles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say it's, it's a type of place where you really have to have
0: a, a certain mindset in order to thrive in that environment. Um, because the, the institutions are not set up such that you will succeed naturally. What I mean by that is, I remember when I first, um, when my younger brother brought home a dictionary from school one day. And the dictionary was so old that it didn't have the word computer in it. Mm. So the early on, that discourages you, you know, academically. And then, you know, the local, you know, you, you have gangs, you have, you know, all this violence that's going on around you. I remember picking up uh, little fragments of bullets. And, you know, hollow tip uh nine millimeter bullets, we will find them in the grass. I remember finding, uh, you know, cell casings and we will get home and we will play marbles with them. You know, hearing gunshots at nighttime, all these things were the norm. It's almost a uh, it can be a place sometimes that, you know, deprives you of hope. I think kids come in, uh, you know, every kid that I've ever experienced, you know, I've done a lot of speaking. I think kids around, you know, the age four and five, they all say the same things. What do you want to be when you grow up? Lawyers, doctors, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I remember when I was in sixth grade, um, we first moved into the into uh, into that area. And I remember having a conversation with two young boys on the schoolyard. Uh, one boy, we were standing around at lunchtime. One of the boys uh, said, you know, one day we're, they were talking about prison. And what he said, he's six years old, mind you. He said one day when I go to prison, I'm going to become a gang member. Then the other one said, when I go to prison, I'll pretend to be religious. I heard that they don't mess with you if you're religious. Hmm. And then when it came around my time to say what I would do one day when I went to prison, um, I didn't know what to contribute to the conversation. Up to that point, at the age of six, I had never imagined myself going to prison. And it was it's just a, it's crazy that that was the expectation. Almost that was the conversation. At six years old. So you can only imagine the reality that the the youth are seeing when they walk outside of their house or their building and how that shapes their dreams. That's why I entitled the book A Dream Too Big, because coming from where I come from, you know, just a place of, you know, of poverty, of of taking, you know, bucket baths, of not having hot water, all these things, Um, the dreams to, you know, go to an Oxford or, you know, even... You know, be alive by 18, by be alive by 19, not be a gang member, not be gang affiliated. Those can seem like dreams too big when you're inundated with those messages all day long, every day.
1: You said the word when we go to prison, not if, is what the mindset of a six-year-old is. That blows my mind, to be honest with you, because it's it not— bl- a,
0: It blows my mind, and I'm from there.
1: Yeah, it's not an if, you know, and if I screw up or if I—it's it's a, it's a mindset, I guess, that's ingrained— out there to say the words when like it's expected to happen tell me about walking through that mindset of changing from when to if to no this isn't going to happen to me I know it it got pretty bad and I'm just reading in the back of your book some of the things that you walk through as a young child tell us about just the difficult moments that that you had to kind of deal with both from your parents perspective just from your life perspective
0: Absolutely. Um I would say and 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 don't get me wrong we had our fun moments. You know I was a kid like everyone else riding bicycles. But the hard moments, uh, were terrible at some, at times. They were traumatic. Um, mm. I remember when my mom, uh, she got sick. She had an open heart surgery. And just, a, just a small tidbit on my mom. After my, my parents had a marriage of nine years, after my parents divorced, that's when we moved to what we would classify as the hood. Mm. So living there, you know, my mom is dealing with the stress of her divorce, of an abusive relationship, all these things, right? and then um she just didn't she didn't she was unable to really take care of her mental and her physical and emotional health, so in my own opinion, um I think she got sick as a result of that, and she ended up developing a tumor on one of the chambers of her heart. so what ended up happening is my mom went in for open heart surgery um and then unfortunately oh by by the grace of God she the surgery was successful. But while she was recovering from open heart surgery, she was assaulted by one of the workers at the hospital. Mm. So this puts This puts her in a state of, you know, depression, just a terrible state where, you know, she's just depressed. She's recovering physically and psychologically from what had happened to her. So now, you know, this is the time, you know, I'm nine years old. This is when I have to, you know, grow up. This is when I go from being a baby to a man. You know, start having to contribute, you know, financially to the house, you know, with cans and bottles or, you know, whatever I can, you know, candy, selling, selling candy, things like that. So those are, those are some of my earlier hardships. And then, you know, later on, uh, when I was 16 years old, when I was in high school, my father went to prison, um, for a life sentence, uh, for murder. And, you know, it was, it just, it just seemed like all these things were, were pushing me down. It was like a never ending, vortex of adversity, so to speak. Um, just walking to school. Um, you know, I remember there was a point in time where, you know, I had poor grades in sixth grade because it was an, it was uh it was disadvantageous for me to bring my backpack to school as it would weigh me down if I had to run or defend myself on, you know, eleven mile bus journey to my school. So it was so many different things that, you know, were adverse situations that I faced that I think just one of two of those will be enough for the average person. And for me, for whatever reason, you know, the way God had it, that was every year. That was every day.
1: Hmm. Kylan Moore is our guest here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. So how do you not get caught up in gang violence and becoming a part of a gang? How do you get out of that? Because, uh, you know, when you become the man of the house at nine years old, that's a responsibility that no nine-year-old should have to deal with. And then your dad going through what he just went through, and I think we'll talk about the dad issue in a second. But just, how do you not end up falling prey to what it sounds like was taking place in the majority of your area for kids your age? Yeah, I have to say I was extremely blessed. Um, my mom was an incredible role model.
0: I can't credit myself. I got. I got to credit. I got. I have to credit God. I have to credit my mom yeah. um, because. For my mom, she, um, after her divorce, when I was in sixth grade, I mean, pardon me, when I was six years old, at the exact same time when those young men had expectations of prison, you know, that's put on them. You know, it was a rumor at my, at my, uh, elementary school that they determined how many private prisons they would build based off of third grade test scores. Like these are the things that you, these are the things that you hear, right? And these are, these your reality. So that's, that's what's shaping their reality, unfortunately. Um, and I say I'm incredibly blessed that I had a mom that saved my reality in a different way. And so my mom, she graduated from law school when I was six years old. So that set, that set a different standard for me of, you know, what it was attainable, what I should strive towards. But unfortunately, um, for many young men and young women that didn't have that opportunity, that didn't necessarily see that, I can see how their life may have taken a different trajectory. And sometimes uh, to no fault of their own. I remember one time I was walking through the neighborhood It was me and my younger brother, maybe a friend or two. And there were some gang members and they asked, they asked us, they were, they were in a garage. They asked us if we wanted to get put on to the hood. That's a colloquial uh, phrase to say, would you like to be initiated into the gang? Mm. And, you know, I I automatically, I had my football with me. So I told him, no, I'm good. I just want to play. I just want to play ball. I want to play football. And then, you know, all my other friends are saying, no, they're good. They're good. But then there was one young man. And he walked into the garage and he actually got initiated into the gang. I've never seen that friend ever again since that day. Mm. So just that one decision could have been the difference between me and him. So there's me and him have more in common than we have uh, dissimilar. to be quite honest with you. Me and that friend. We did the same things. We played together. Um It's just I, I just have to say I'm incredibly blessed. And my hope is that. You know, I, I can't necessarily implement that everyone has my mom in that community and everyone has my educational opportunities, but hopefully you can implement something that can, you know, equalize these opportunities that even kids going through these things uh can have opportunities to better themselves through education and not have you know dictionaries uh, that don't have the word computer in it.
1: Yeah, that's insane that that even exists in, in the last 10 years. It's crazy. Kylan, yeah. you mentioned God. You mentioned giving credit to Him. So this is a Faith in Sports podcast. We want to hear your testimony. Tell us about Christ in your life growing up, and then obviously the moment when you were able to really put your faith and trust in Him as your own faith. Absolutely. So I think for me, my mom— well, first off, my mom was
0: incredibly, she had some of the strongest faith you'll ever meet. Every other word is about God and what Jesus can do for your life when you talk to my mom, uh, growing up at least. Um, I think when my faith really got put to test was very early on, uh, at the age of nine, as I said, uh, when my mom was going through open heart surgery, um, if I can, if I can remember correctly, that's one of the first times that I consciously prayed, mm. where I truly prayed for something. And I remember going to school and I uh, I cried and I prayed with one of my friends at the school. Um, His name was Christian Thomas. And we sat down and we prayed at lunchtime. I didn't even eat my food. And we just sat there. I remember praying. And then I remember uh, later on, like maybe like a couple months later, it was somewhere around the time of Easter. And I found a, uh, I was in the uh, parking lot of what we call Kmart. I don't know if they have that in other places of the United States, Oh yeah. but I was at, OK, <laughs> I was in a Kmart parking lot and somebody had dropped a uh, like a, a mag not a magazine, but a comic book on the ground. So I picked up the comic book. It was a comic book about Jesus's life. And it was just it inspired me. It was like not only was it about reading about, you know, just God, the, the you know, the, the creator of the universe, the the savior of our sins. It wasn't just about reading about that. It was about reading about a man that produced miracles it was something about that that stuck with me because at that particular time I was truly in need of a miracle for my mom to survive her surgery so I think that's some of the times where I really started to cling on to my faith I started to come into my own as a Christian it was about nine years old
1: Hmm. you mentioned your dad uh, and and some of the things that he had went through convicted of a murder Tell me what that did to you as a man trying to grow up, a young man, very impressionable, obviously. And I grew up with a dysfunctional relationship with my own dad. So I wonder for you, what was that like trying to figure out life and having a dad who was not really there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I think it was difficult. Um, so after my parents, as I said, my parents were married for nine years. So I remember my dad all the way up to the age of seven. Uh, then after they divorced, you know, due to, you know, uh, domestic, you know, uh, uh violence and stuff like not physical violence, but verbal violence, pardon me. Yeah. Um, due to, due to verbal violence and things like that, uh, I didn't see my dad again until he was on the news. So it was like a period of from the age of like seven or eight or nine all the way until I was 16. And the next time I saw him was when he was on the news when the police were telling us, uh, that he was a, a suspect in a murder case. So for me, I just, I must admit, I, I grew up confused. I think that would be the best way. It's like, I didn't even know how to feel. I don't know if there's like a uh, an adjective to describe, you know, how I felt inside. It's just, you feel a certain level of despair and maybe an anger, but you know, love, it's all these things mixed together. So I think it just led me to be, you know, kind of confused, like trying to understand, you know, where's my place as a man. Um, what is it to be a man? I think that's what I thought. spent a lot of time thinking about. And, you know, luckily, once again, by the grace of God, I went to a school that really emphasized, you know, a concept of, you know, positive masculinity and what it means to be a man. I went to a, a Jesuit school. It was an all-boys school right in the heart of Watts. And, you know, luckily I had great mentors, black male mentors that would, you know, kind of model, model for me what it looked like to be a man or how you should talk, how you should present yourself, how to be respectful, how to, you know, demand and demonstrate respect when you enter a room how to you know lift up lift people up give them a shoulder to cry on give them an ear to listen to these are all the things I started to learn um you know from this confusion I I just started to seek it out as well as I could I, I started out so so much so that anytime somebody was saying something wise I would just write it down and I kind of I kind of I, I started to treat life as my father, if that makes sense. I started to treat I th- I thought like this. Th- my mindset was something like this that you know, my father may be in prison, but God is my father at the end of the day. So you know what? I'm going, I'm going to listen anytime my father talks. And uh, my father might talk through this tree, my father might talk through this this woman right here, through this homeless man. So I started writing down what I call a book of wisdom. And I just would write down any wisdom that I could hear. From from a from an old man, from a young man, from a man that just got out of prison. And I learned so much through that process of kind of, you know, having God be my father, if that makes sense.
1: You still do that? You still carry oh, a notebook th- with you? To this
0: day, I'm on <laughs> my I may, I'm probably on my 10th notebook at this time. I've learned so much. Truly, I've learned so much just from having an open mind that, you know, God can speak through anyone.
1: We haven't even talked about football yet, this being a sports podcast, so tell me about <laughs> you know, your love for football, and you wanted to play Division One football. And it, your mm-hmm. journey takes you in a few different places. You know, right. I can say former TCU football player, but it wasn't as easy as you graduating high school and going to play football at TCU. So take us through right, high right. school into college and your football journey. Absolutely. So for me, football you know, started out in front of the
0: street with the kids in my neighborhood having fun. And then after that, um, I ended up playing in the Snoop Dogg Youth Football League, you mm. know, the, uh, the the league that was started by the rapper Snoop Dogg. Yeah. And that was, a save, that was a saving grace for many uh, young men and young women in my community, just to have the opportunity to participate in something that's a positive outlet, you know, after school. So from that, I, I went on to high school. I played uh, quarterback in high school. And I had a pretty good career, solid, solid years. I ended up getting recruited to a couple, uh, couple schools. I got offered a scholarship or two, but the scholarships fell through the cracks as, um, you know, as I couldn't put on weight. I, Cause at the time, um, you know, as I said, my family was under duress. It was a lot of, uh, financial hardships back home. So there were times where I would miss meals and I wouldn't complain. There were times where, you know, instead of complaining about the, the pain in my stomach, I would just, just drop down on the floor and do pushups um, to transfer that pain to my arms. So at this time I wasn't able to get like the, those, big recruitments, you know, I wasn't now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm about six, one, six, two, two something. If I, in high school, it had I matured to that. I would, I would have, you know, who knows where I would have been right out of high school. So eventually I signed uh, with Marist college in New York and going to that university it was a great experience at that university. I'm still playing quarterback. I eventually worked myself up, uh, you know, to being competitive enough to be in a, uh, to be in consideration for the starting lineup. And then right before the season, I injured my back. Mm. It was horrible. It was it was it was devastating for me because for me, you know, I had, you know, my own plan, I guess, of uh, was to, you know, come in to play quarterback to, you know, to break records, to do all these things. And then, you know, see what prospects could be for me in the future for professional leagues and things like that. And it didn't work out that way. That back injury really derailed me. It, it made me so depressed, I remember. So what ended up happening was, you know, after me being down for a couple months and, you know, barely being able to walk and hobbling around. I eventually, you know, I, I prayed and I, and I motivated myself and I wrote down two things on the wall on, on a piece of paper and I put it on the wall. I wrote down Division One football player and Harvard Ph.D. And I just wrote these things down, uh, you know, in terms of something that was just aspirational, something to resource, something to get me out of my bed every day instead of, you know, being down and being depressed. And I, I would look at it every day, Harvard PhD and, and Division I football player. I put Harvard PhD, um, as I said, coming from an environment where they say that they determine how many, you know, schools, how many prisons they want to build based off of third grade test scores. I knew that that Harvard PhD or anything like that, you know, it doesn't have to be Harvard. I knew that would mean something to my community that I knew that that would give me an opportunity to illuminate what's going on there and hopefully produce policy that, you know, intelligent policy that can help ameliorate some of these situations. I wrote down Division One football player um, because at the time, as is current, uh, my father was in prison for life. And I told myself. You know, that's that's something to strive towards. I'm not going to stop playing football until my father can see me on the television from the prison that he's at. It was, just, it was just something about that that I felt would validate all my frustration, would validate all the pain that I was going through um, and allow me to reconnect in a different way. And so so I ended up looking at those goals every single day. I got a job as a janitor. And my idea of getting a job as a janitor was that and it was it was one of the only jobs I can get at the time. I ended up getting fired from a, from another job. Uh, the, the lady, she was doing like some shady dealings in the back room and she was manipulating people's money. And I saw her and she ended up uh, firing me. But she felt bad that she fired me and then she ended up hiring me as a janitor. So I, I, I was I was taking everything in stride. So my idea of working as a janitor was that I was going to be able to save up enough money to get me to the next school that I was going to. Because I felt like I just needed a change of environment just to, you know, refresh my spirit, refresh my mind. So I ended up saving up that money. And, you know, long story short, I ended up making my way all the way to um to Texas Christian University. I got there. I switched positions uh, to strong safety. You know, at this time, my, my body's a little bit differently. I'm a different type of athlete than than I was in high school. Yeah. And I just, I just took advantage of all the opportunities. And now reflecting back on my time at at TCU, I have to say I'm, I'm just extremely grateful for all the things that I learned, all the hard work that I put in. And I'm glad that it led to, um, I'm I'm glad that I wasn't two inches taller and a couple steps faster because my trajectory will be a lot different right now. Um, you know, I'm doing something that I never would have saw my, would have seen myself doing, you know, as, as a Oxford University student um a lot of times you know where i come from the biggest thing the biggest most positive thing we can see ourselves doing is uh is only athletics and athletics are great don't get me wrong um but there's a lot of different avenues that you can chase down to have a meaningful purposeful uh life and you know luckily i'm super happy that football opened those, open those doors for me for me to see other things that i'm also interested in and in the case of TCU. um you know, being a football player there, I ended up founding an organization where we went to go help children speak, you know, at local elementary schools and middle schools. And I just I started to see another uh, side of me opening up. That was another, um, you know, another side of me other than just an athletic individual, also a spiritual individual, an intelligent individual, a person that's interested in their community. And I'm just extremely grateful that football afforded me the
1: opportunities to explore those avenues. You just said something interesting to me. You said you're lucky you're not an inch and a half or two inches taller and a little bit bigger. Is that because you think if you were, you might have gone to the NFL and this whole journey that you're on right now may not have happened? Yeah, absolutely. Had I, like, I, I was thinking back on it. Now,
0: as I said, you know, at my current height and current weight, if I was this size in high school, you know, I was like one of those uh, like late bloomers they call them, yeah. where you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a single sprout of facial hair, you know, on my face in high school. Super yeah. late bloomer. Right. And um, had had I had I been the size that I was now, who knows? I I would be playing linebacker, you know, at some university. I would, you know, my my entire identity uh, for myself would be much more enveloped in what my physical body could do. I would be much more enveloped you know, in my athleticism than I would, you know, my I'm speaking for myself, than I would for my spirituality, for my intellect, for all these different things. Who knows, you know, and I'm not saying my life definitely would have went in a positive trajectory, but who knows if I would have been opened up to the things that God had in store for me. So that's why I say in a in a way I'm glad I wasn't a couple steps faster, you know, a couple inches taller. I would have a, you know, a different perspective on life at this particular juncture. And I'm extremely grateful for the things that God has brought me through and
1: taught me through the process. Kylan, you write in your book a uh, dream too big about how your dad and mom both got to watch you play that Division 1 football game at TCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly enough, it was your dad from a penitentiary and your mom from the stadium. Can you just maybe take us back to that game and what that was like and describe the process of having to, you know, play a football game in that light where your dad is, you know, obviously we all strive to have our dad cheering us on and rooting for mm-hmm. us. And it was just a different type of a situation for him and for you. Right. I think for me.
0: Hmm. One of the things that I thought about a lot, um, especially as a kid, and I think I think about I think about it a lot even now, is Am I making my parents proud? Am I making my parents proud? That's something I always think about. Yeah. And for for that day, I truly felt deep down in my heart that both of my parents were completely proud of me. And for me, that was that was bigger than a that was bigger than a national championship. That just it, it just did my heart well. I think that's kind of how I felt on that day. It was this incredible rush of positive emotions.
1: Tell me about forgiveness. Uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about. That's what my book is about, and I know that you've had to come to a place where you had to forgive your dad uh, in in for the things that he's done. Tell me about what you've learned about forgiveness in this journey.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think what I've learned about forgiveness is that you know every last one of us is flawed everyone is flawed and hopefully we're not only held in the regard of our mistakes, but we're held in the regard of how we, you know, come back from our mistakes. And I think, um, pertaining to my dad, I think that's one of the things that I learned is that no one can be, no one could be reduced to their mistakes. Not even one person. God loves everybody. The, Mm -hmm. the, the, the lowest person you could think of God loves that person. And so that's, that's one of the things just adopting that same mindset I have to forgive other people. I have to forgive myself for things that I may have done or, or regret and things like that, so forgiveness has been an incredible thing. I remember when I first went on the uh the journey of the path towards forgiveness um you know from my own family, from my own father is I started you know writing him letters back when I was in college, and that was at first it was a it was like such a big deal for me you know i w- I would cry over the letters and you know it was hard for me to write then after a while, it just I just started to get a better feeling, a better spiritual understanding of the process that I was going through and how, and how therapeutic it was for both individuals. So I think that's, that's kind of my perspective on forgiveness. I think it's incredibly important. I think we're all, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying we're deserving of forgiveness, but to God, you know, that's that sacrifice that Jesus made for us and washing away our sins. If, if, if that's the example that we have in front of us, it would be a
1: blessing if we could all strive towards that. Mm-hmm. Kylan Moore is our guest here on the podcast. The new book is called A Dream Too Big. A couple more questions here with Kylan. I'm really fascinated by the idea of you being a Rhodes Scholar. And I'm probably just not smart enough to really know what exactly that is. (laughs) Um, But I know it's a big deal. So you say Rhodes Scholar. (laughs) I first think in my mind, okay, this guy's really smart. And he's getting an amazing opportunity that not a lot of people Get can you share with us kind of how you became and, and what that means to be a Rhodes Scholar and just how you ended up in Oxford, England for the last couple of years? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so in in short, the Rhodes Scholarship is
0: just I think they they heralded it as one of the most prestigious scholarships um in the world. I think you 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 have to apply right out of undergraduate or you know in your master's programs or whatever the case is, and you know your your competition is global. I think they choose 32 American Rhodes Scholars, but in total, there's 96 Rhodes Scholars. So in each of these uh, countries, you know, it's the people from the most, typically the people from the most elite university with the highest grades, with the most research experience. Usually you have a component of, you know, uh, athleticism that ties into it, of leadership, people that have founded things, people that have, you know, discovered new ways of you know treating you know medical things and stuff like that so i would say i'm not saying i'm that smart but i'll say a lot of these people are incredibly incredibly intelligent yeah. and you know it's, it's a blessing to be a part of something like that so the scholarship is something that you apply to it's something that you earn it's not ne- it's not something that's given to or you know you're just chosen out of a bucket it's something that you have to apply to you have to earn you have to put in all this work uh then go you have to interview and then you know hopefully become successful, and you know in my case, I was blessed enough to be able to do that and you know and to be able to enter an elite fraternity that um you know it has presidents, it has you know news correspondents uh prime ministers, people that have discovered all types of things, so collectively it's a it's a group of of pretty amazing pretty dynamic individuals, very intellectual uh group, so it's a blessing that I was able to um you know get that prize and you know take it forward i think historically um, Rhodes scholarship was set up by a man named Cecil Rhodes. And I write about this in the book. Cecil Rhodes would be, um, if people were more aware of, you know, his legacy, people would view him He in, in South Africa, the way people view him is the similar, same way we, that we view an Adolf Hitler or something like that. Mm. You see him as, as a dastardly genocidal individual, but basically what this man did is in his will, in his trust, he said, you know, I want to make a scholarship um, to educate, you know, the elite of all these, you know, British protectorate countries, and so that they can continue to, you know, to dominate the world and take advantage of other people. So eventually, you know, the Rhodes Scholarship started to morph as they had, you know, people of different backgrounds started to rise up and win the scholarship and things like that. So um, me being a Rhodes scholar, it kind of defines what a Rhodes scholar is. The Rhodes Scholarship doesn't define me; I define the Rhodes Scholarship. Um, just like, you know, Myron Rowe, uh, he was in uh, a, a strong safety, or pardon me, a free safety at Florida State. Yeah. Now he, now he's a neurosurgeon, very intelligent guy, and he played in the NFL. Um, People like that, you know, define what the Rhodes Scholarship is as opposed to the Rhodes Scholarship defining them. So that's hopefully uh, the legacy that I'm trying to contribute to is to redefine what this uh, particular award means.
1: So everything you just said to us in the last 30 minutes, at 24 years old, people would be like, okay, that's a lot of life that you've been living Let's just throw on the fact that you're married and you have, uh, and you're a dad and you have a daughter. Is it Mia? Uh Mia, yes, sir. You you got a lot going on, my friend. Tell me about life right now. (laughs) And just, I think you told me off air that you just finished up your time in Oxford. Uh But being a husband, being a dad, what does life look like today for you and going forward? Absolutely. So being a husband and being a dad—that's the fun part and the most important
0: part for me. I think all my career decisions are secondary to all of my family decisions. And, you know, me and my wife, we always make sure that that's the uh, the main focus. I'll just say it's extremely fun. Every day I feel so joyous and so blessed, I must admit. Um, my wife is incredibly intelligent herself. She's a, a polyglot. She speaks uh, four or five languages. Um, and it, is this, this incredible person to be around on a daily basis. She's actually a former athlete as well. Um, she had Olympic uh, aspirations. She went to the Junior Olympics uh, when she was young in, in Singapore, and she has the uh, the record for the hammer throw at Texas Christian University, which is where I met her. Okay. And then our, da- our daughter, she's just a little uh, bundle of joy. Today is her ten, ten yeah, month birthday. Technically, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, April is the 23rd. She's born July 23rd, but I would say it just makes me incredibly joyous every single day. I must say I'm, I, I feel incredibly. Um blessed. I feel humbled to have the gift of marriage, to have the gift of fatherhood, and to be able to cherish it, enjoy it, and cherish and enjoy it every single day. So those are my big things. And moving forward, um, the less important stuff, which I would deem as my career stuff, I'll be applying to PhD programs in the fall uh in sociology at a, you know, for example, I'll be applying to Brown, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, a couple of different schools. And my ultimate hope is to become a university professor. I want to shed more light on, you know, all the topics and things that I discuss in my book and that we discussed in this, um, in this podcast. I want to shed, shed more light on these things and research them and hopefully produce intelligent policy that can bring us forward to a better state.
1: Mm, this is good. I feel like I'm getting, I'm interviewing you before you know you go, you, you make it to become president of the United States someday, Kyle, <laughs> you know. So I'm getting you in the, in the early part of your journey here. So I'm liking this. Oh goodness, <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I'm that smart, <laughs> but maybe. Hey, we that, both believe be, in a God cool. that can do anything He wants. Hey, you just I, never know, I agree right?
0: with that. That's that's so true, so true, so yeah.
1: true. Absolutely. So let's true. let's close it with this, Kyle. And this has been awesome. And again, the book is called "A Dream Too Big: The Improbable Journey from Compton." to Oxford. What are you learning today from God? We asked this question to our, our guests here on the podcast all throughout. It's usually the last question. In this season of life where He has you, and you kind of just shared where He has you, what are you learning from from the Lord during this time of life? Mm, that's a good question. I would say, what am I learning?
0: I say today, in this day and age or, or this current time, what I'm learning from God is to be humble and to listen if I could do those two things, um, God will illuminate my path and I won't I won't have to I won't have to worry. I won't have to stress. I'm learning to. Um, what, what does it say in, in James chapter uh, chapter one, verse two? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds yeah. Um. for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and it says and let the steadfastness. Fastness have its full effect that you may that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's hopefully what I'm doing right now is just learning to be steadfast to the things that God is putting in front of me. And I know it will lead to my perfection and
1: completion and whatever it is that I'm trying to do. I love it. His name is Kylan Moore. He is a former TCU football player, 2017 Rhodes Scholar and father and husband. But right now he's also an author and the book's called A Dream Too Big. The Story of an Improbable Journey from Compton to Oxford releases June 4th. We're excited to have Kylan here on the podcast. Listen, it's been great to get to know you, my friend, and just wish you nothing but the best. And hopefully we'll have you on again uh, sometime in the future. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Incredible story there from Kylan Moore joining us here on Sports Spectrum. Again, the book is called The Dream Too Big, The Story of an Improbable Journey from Compton To Oxford released with Thomas Nelson books and published June 4th 2019 what a story that Kylan has and uh, just really excited to watch what his future and how his future unfolds I mean I wasn't kidding when I'm saying that I would not be surprised if this dude was president of the United States in 20 years you just never know where God might take you but check out his book a dream too big available everywhere books are found today also give him a follow on twitter kylan is actually spelled c-a-y-l-i-n it's pronounced kylan but it's spelled kaylin and i made that mistake when i called him and actually said kaylin uh, forgetting that it was kylan and how you pronounce it but give him a follow on twitter at kylan l moore c-a-y-l-i-n-l-m-o-o-r-e many thanks to kylan for being here on the sports spectrum Podcast and thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. Want to direct you back to our Sports Spectrum website. That's the home for all things Sports Spectrum. It's SportsSpectrum.com. And also want to encourage you to subscribe to our magazine. It's $18 for an entire year and it gets you our quarterly magazine, four issues of the Sports Spectrum magazine, plus a couple bonus issues in the magazine. It's just a really awesome. Tangible piece that you can hold in your hand and give to someone as a great witnessing tool, as a great opportunity to share Christ with them through a magazine. And it's cheap. It's 18 bucks for the whole year. And you get our Sports Spectrum magazine. You can subscribe today at sportspectrum.com. Check out the website, sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you guys. You can find us on social media as well at sports underscore spectrum. Uh, like us you know, tweet at us reply to us whatever it is we'll retweet it we'll share it we'll respond back to you just really appreciate you guys interacting with us and sharing all the great things that are happening here between sports and faith at sports spectrum we'll see you next time with a brand new episode of the sports spectrum podcast have a great rest of your day we love you guys and we'll see you soon